something about 500 or 600 people and now completely empty just houses and uh, ruins meaning destroying uh, so it's uh, people just left the uh, territory so this is was like a every morning i hear in this every morning because in this marathon when i in the kitchen it's constantly like this reporting for all, all the areas it's very very helpful for me to hear it because it's like a people reporting who are really close and really in this like a area and they're reporting that people are just living and this is just that space someday it was people who just lived and flourished and now it's just empty places so thank you ghost ghosts the ghost town thank you slava Kudin. uh peter yeah i had a question for uh special cat uh you mentioned that um uh your uh, um people in Kherson are uh considering evacuating um and uh, i wonder what would that entail how would they practically go about getting out of there uh do they have to you know are there is there any operation that they would contact that would help them get out or are they on their own in terms of figuring out the logistics and how to you know get across any checkpoints do they have to bribe people uh what's the level of danger and so so like um, the most common way which, um, which are people now uh, evacuating from Kherson is through Vasilitra point um, and uh, there are a lot of like private uh, like uh, people like who run buses uh, in and out from the occupied territory and um, there it seems to be like there are some like free buses like run by totally by volunteers but it's uh, we were, we and, and I also uh, and my relatives now are trying to seek info how to get on these free uh, buses uh, like uh, but uh, I don't know. At least we having troubles to find uh, how to evacuate from Kherson like for free, like uh, without paying for price for crossing the blog post. Um, also, like uh, yesterday or two days ago, I was here and said that we've paid the price of ten thousand hryvnias for evacuation from Kherson to Srovasalitka to Zaporozhye Oblast for one person. Um, Right now, like I already got the new information from my relatives who are wanting, like, willing to evacuate. Now, uh, tickets are costing, they found ones for 6,500 grivnas for one person. So it seems like the price is uh, a little bit dropping, like, and they're a little bit more suitable for people. So that's about $200-ish for anybody wondering. Yeah, so, and... Uh, there are also people who are like you can live through the bus and there are also people who are trying uh, to organize evacuation through your own car so that you have your own car uh, they establishing like a convoy of cars and uh, they are passing together through this blog post so they're driving together so you're not driving alone um, but it's also not free like, um, i think it's uh, because they are given some kind of uh, um, cash to Russians on the blog post, so they not causing too much trouble for people inside of this convoy specific. Uh, price of con in convoys uh, may vary. Uh, from my relatives, uh, they find out that now place in the convoy costs about uh, $550. Like, and they, uh, in these convoys, uh, 
they are taking not grivnas but dollars. Like that's what uh, they've told to me. But uh, like it's also uh, like there are still a lot of troubles uh, to evacuate the people uh, from all of the occupied territories. Like for example, these buses they are not going into small villages. Like uh, they are going through uh, from Novokhovka, for example, and from Kher. They will not go in some like uh, village in the middle of nowhere to take people from there. So people need uh, by themselves somehow to find the transport to these big points like Kherson, Novokhovka, and uh, from there sit on the bus and evacuate from uh, occupied territory. So it's really hard to get all of the people from these tiny little places scattered all around the occupied territory. And Thank last you. time you were saying how... Oh, Peter, you may have more sub-questions. Feel free. Um... Yeah, uh, I have no idea what the terrain is like there. Uh, I, um, during the Second World War, uh, Norway was under German occupation and people were trying to flee to Sweden. That was neutral and they, many of them uh, basically went on foot uh, or on skis through the woods. Is there any opportunity for people to sort of, you know, without uh, motorized transport, uh, get out uh, sort of between uh, checkposts and so forth? Uh, it's completely open area, it's just steep, it's fields, like empty. Uh, you will like uh, go onto the field and you will be shot down from kilometers from away. There are still cases when people attempt to cross uh, the border at night, uh, but uh, like these are like so rarely that they even got into the news when uh, they managed to do it. So it's... Uh, not a way you need to consider when uh, like evacuating from uh, Kherson region. It's very dangerous and it's happened very rarely. And so yesterday, Special Cat, you were saying that there's 16,000 people apparently at Vasilivka? Uh, from 10 to 16,000 people, according to some like uh, medias local in uh, like Ukraine, and to according to volunteers uh, which are working uh, with people in Novokahovka. Exactly. And so Vasilivka is a kind of tiny place south from Zaporizhia, between Zaporizhia and Nerkhodar, uh, right on the Dnipro, right on the banks of the river. And, you know, if 16,000 are there, that is a huge proportion of the, you know, not huge proportion, that's a significant proportion of the leftover population in the in Kherson Oblast, right? Um, I mean, you were saying that there's maybe 100,000 people left in the city of Kherson and the suburbs together? Uh, in the in the city itself, in Kherson, about I think about 100,000 people, and two months ago, as I've said, it was about 120,000, 140,000. Uh, these are official data from uh, the head of Ukrainian administrations, and the official data from also the head of Kherson administrations is uh, that uh, uh, for the beginning of the summer, one uh, half of a million people are still in the occupied Kherson region with the pre-war population, one million people. Um, and I think, I, like, uh, turning back a little bit to Vasilivka, like I've mentioned that the Vasilivka itself, it's the place where the last uh, uh, Russian blog post is. Um, the place where the first Ukrainian blog post is, is Kamyansk, Kamyansk, I think. Uh, it's somewhere like five kilometers, I think, between Vasilivka and Kamyansk. So between first last Russian blog post and first... Uh, Ukrainian blog post. Is there a queue between the Russian blog post and the Ukrainian blog post? Or after people pass the Russian one, they just drive straight through? Uh, no, all the queue is bit, uh, before the last uh, 
uh, Russian blog post. No people are allowed to be in no man land, like uh, in in between time. Yeah, you just drive straight through through the no man's land, right? Yeah, and yeah. the the rain determining step, the 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 slow step is the last Russian one. Okay. Yeah, like the determinant step is the last Russian blog post. And this isn't the only way out, right? This is just the more the most popular, the most straightforward way out of Hedison, right? There's there are other ways, but they aren't as well described, and they probably shouldn't be as well described. Uh, how to say this? There are other ways, but they are organized like not for groups of people, not for buses. Uh, just uh, in some heavy cases, when someone like extremely fast need to leave Kherson, um, there are some people who, like who are dealing with it. Like I don't know how. Maybe they're giving some extreme like uh, cash to Russians to allow them to pass through these places. Uh, but there are other cases uh, when people are living not through Vasilivka. But like, if you are just a regular person uh, with regular needs in Kherson Oblast. Uh, the only way for you is either through Vasilivka or through Crimea to leave, like to the free land from the occupied territory. Like, and also, like these ways, uh, like these other ways, they could be like extremely dangerous. Like uh, when people, like people, uh, why people are taking these extreme roads? There are like several reasons. Like for example, uh, one of my uh, like relatives of my relatives, let's say, like a distant friend, distant friend of a family, he has uh, got a medical surgery on his heart. And uh, each uh, two months, he needs to pass uh, a check at medical center uh, like for his health issues. And um, there was a time when uh, everything was blocked in Kherson Oblast, and there were no way out uh, through Vasilivka was blocked. Uh, and the only way was either through uh, Crimea, or just wait uh, for the opportunity to leave. But they found like uh, a man, I think he was like a volunteer who uh, has like uh, passed through this uh, front line to get some uh, medical supplies or some other sort of things to the occupied territory of Kherson. And uh, uh, they've paid a lot. They've paid some, I don't know the exact number, but it's more than $1,000 for him to be evacuated. Like, I don't know where exactly, but somewhere like on this area between Kherson and Nikolaev, they've managed to sneak him out um, from Kherson when everything, uh, every checkpoint was closed for living. So on these checkpoints, what, what are the Russians checking? Are they checking passports? Are they checking... Uh, mobile phones are they also checking in some cases especially in the east of ukraine there was a lot of saying that you know especially men were checked for tattoos as well what what in in your experience at least what have you uh what have you observed um in my experience uh like uh, it uh, was not already like so so bad like for example we were not checked for tattoos like there's no we're not so uh, sort of things um we were only like uh, invited out of the bus uh, checked our passports and uh, mobile phone. Um, yeah, and also like uh, I want to mention, like it's not like Russians are like stupid. Like I think like uh, that they do not understand that people are deleting all these pro-Ukrainian stuff from their phones. For example, uh, one of Russians has said like when we got out of the bus, uh, something like this. Uh, so what? Uh, are you ready for your exam? Like have you deleted everything? Like I will check it now. And when they check passwords, do they 
compare them to some sort of a list or did they compare them to some sort of an electronic record or did they just look at the password, look at the person and give the password back most of the time? Uh, no, just like uh, some of them like uh, they were made like a line, like people passport, person passport, person passport, like just uh, they comparing not to the list, uh, to anything. And uh, at the other checkpoints, like uh, they asked just to give, provide all the passports from people inside the bus to this man on the checkpoint like he has looked everything like uh, give away the passports uh, back to the boss and uh, passed uh, like uh, further the people like uh, but they are, do not have like at least i have not seen this like sort of lists or some stuff that they are comparing to i see right fair enough um i'm guessing on the bus that you were on they weren't asking for bribes but I'm guessing, especially for people traveling in cars, that that can happen more often, right? Um, like yeah, like we have like a lot of discussion that, that uh, and with bus drivers, some like from people that it's uh, more likely that you will escape without any like uh, situations uh, through the bus and not on your car, or at least like. Um, that it's more safer to be part of these convoys for these parts uh, like of people inside the bus. Uh, like at least uh, for now, I, uh, I have not heard the situation when uh, people were taken out from the bus and uh, were not able to pass uh, uh, like these checkpoints if they were part of the group inside of the bus. So at least, uh, at least for, from what I know, like a uh, person from bus is like, uh, like um, are able to cross these checkpoints without uh, like any particular case. Like, um, so yeah, so I consider it like to be like, one of the safest uh, methods to leave. And from talking to any of the volunteers, um, the the volunteers that are you know, crossing the border back and forth and back and forth repeatedly, um, how are they? How should I say? How how did they get to cross the border so many times? Do they not? get particularly harassed by the Russians or, you know, are, are the Russians not kind of annoyed with these people taking uh, civilians out of occupied territory? Uh, they are not like talking about it. I know that uh, um, it's somehow cooperated by the Ukrainian military. Like they, uh, they like one of these person, like, uh, like from info I get from my relatives who are like, uh, works in the Chernobyl administration. These uh, volunteers are somehow cooperated through the Ukrainian militaries, and there are like times when they are allowed to do. It. Right. I see. And I, I mean, I understand what the Ukrainian military is okay with it. I'm just wondering how the Russian occupation authorities are, you know, okay with with these people just going back and forth and back and forth, and um, you know, because. I don't know. It it seems a little bit like in in some parts of uh, of Ukraine, Russians were very intent on keeping all of the civilian population put, and then kind of processing the civilian population through their own concentration camps only, as opposed to in Kherson and Zaporozhye. It seems that it, it's a little bit more. I don't know that they care more about holding the land and not holding the people, like they 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 wanted to hold the people in say Mariupol, for example. Yeah, I really like do not know how they pass. Like we, it's also like the question which you've asked. Uh, I'm not they watching for the volunteers or what? Like, uh, mm, but I think it's already questions which will be answered only by volunteers who made it after the war.
or by their comments. So I just really do not know and don't want to speculate on this team. I, I, I get it. I get, I'm, you know, I'm just you know, admiring the, the, the resolve and the will and the dedication of the volunteers who are putting themselves in harm's way repeatedly. That's, uh, that's really what I'm kind of, kind of getting at. I'm just amazed by them. So while you were still in Hudson Special Cat, you said that you were not going, not leaving the apartment ever, n- never, never going anywhere, only ever going to the supermarket of 150 meters away or something like that, right? Yeah, right. Like, um, we, uh, so we've spent uh, like uh, most of the time in uh, the house. It was like, uh, at least we've had like uh, an area and the, like it was uh, like not a flat apartment, it was like a, a proper house and we at least were able like to go into the street. But uh, uh, as like we were not in center of Kherson, we were on the outskirts in the village of Antonovka. Um, and there were like uh, actually no places where you can go there. Like, uh, and we went only to the local supermarket. Uh, and that's basically it. Like for, for the time from the beginning of the April to the 9th of June, where I've left, we've, le- uh, we've just joined like, uh, in this house and have not lived uh, anywhere else. Like uh, some like relatives, which I believe I've said, like, they have business and they uh, like have traveled like a little bit through the Kherson vin- uh, vicinity of Kherson and uh, to the other uh, small local villages. Um, but uh, most of us, like everyone else of us who was in this house, we have not lived anywhere else. Thank you, Spetschukar. And this is mostly to avoid sort of Russian harassment, right, and, and unnecessary interactions. Yeah, that's also to avoid unnecessary interactions and checks on these uh, checkpoints. Like, it's not a very pleasant experience. And uh, uh, even if you know that most people like in, uh, like passing these checkpoints, that's uh, like uh, it's better to avoid it. Like, to, like uh, and it's just like uh, not uh, a pleasant experience uh, like, to pass through this checkpoint. Yeah, it must be a very frustrating existence uh, on top of the you know, on top of the danger that you're constantly experiencing. Um, Slavo Kurini, you had your hand up earlier for a second, but then I wasn't sure if you still wanted to say something. Uh, yes, Aaron. Uh, uh, so uh, now on this topic about this uh, volunteers uh, evacuation of the Ukrainians from the occupied territories, for me it also mystery how it works because I understand that it was like a similar uh, time, a similar way like it was from 2014 when there is. Uh, if you if you want, you can like uh, do, uh, go through these um, checks, but uh, military checks, block block post check back and forth. This is why how people on the occupied territories with a bank uh, uh, bank uh, credit card can go to Ukrainian side to uh, take money, and this money goes back to occupied territory. It hum, somehow it worked. I. I I think it may be see this same way, but what I'm hearing is it's no uh, a lot of information is released. Meaning, how it works, no one knows. Only volunteers and maybe people who really goes the back and forth. Because for me, I totally don't know how it works. But somehow, uh, what today said about how uh, this uh, uh, future. Uh, uh, Rescuing 
people from Kherson, like a Ukrainian site, organized how somehow these buses for the people who want to live, like, who want to live this territory. So they somehow Ukrainian forces uh, uh, organizing this. So somehow it works. Thank you. Thanks, Lavo Greeny. Um, we're trying to get uh, a new speaker up. Is having a little bit of technical difficulty. We've been having lots of technical difficulties the last few days. It's uh, get quite annoying sometimes, but let's see how it goes. Mikel, finally got you up. Go ahead. Hey, uh, yeah, to, to me, this uh, all sounds like the, you know, it, it's very nice that there are uh, people that are helping uh, uh, other fellow Ukrainians to escape the cities. Um, but I've been on the space yesterday when special uh, Kersen Cat talked about it, and uh, he said he paid like 10,000 hevrinas, uh, uh, Ukrainian money, which was, uh, I, I forgot how much. Uh, About 300 euros, 300 dollars, yeah. roughly. So it's uh, it's also a business. Uh, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds to me like uh, it's a business for both ends, right? For the checkpoint and uh, for the driver, probably. So, so that's maybe the, the solving the mystery why there are people able to go through the checkpoints uh, because the soldiers at the, uh, at the checkpoints probably earn some uh, buck from it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's like the biggest theory why you pay so much. Like, uh, um, so it's like the biggest uh, theory is that uh, this money going to the Russian soldiers on blog posts, like part of. Uh, it, was, it was actually in the start, starting 2014. It was re- really uh, for Ukrainians to know. That it was known that it was like a big uh, uh, business, and it was a be really big problem because not just money, but because uh, since 2014 we know that these Russians are uh, kids of the corruption, so they spread this corruption, and it was corrupted also. A lot of the Ukrainian soldiers, a lot of the Ukrainian side. But since 2022, I don't think that is like a Ukrainian involved in this. And I just yesterday saw the video, like some soldiers, some soldier, uh, when on blog post uh, asked for some money, and he was captured right away. So on the Ukrainian side, there is, uh, I, I believe, I think. There is no this like a type of corruption be, because we understand that corruption for the Ukrainians is bad. But we know if Russians are corrupt, we better to use them. They want money, they're going to get money. But they better not harm any Ukrainians. So, hey, so want it, hey, let it be. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of reports, right, of... Um let's say, random violence being being directed at people at, at checkpoints as well. And I'm guessing that's mostly present in areas that are where more fighting has previously occurred, I, w- I would guess, uh, whereas Kherson was, was taken relatively quickly and there seems to be less of that random violence directed at, at people at checkpoints in Kherson. There, there, there seems to have been a more systematic approach in Kherson. If I, and I'm, I'm combining a lot of um, different, different reports and different... Uh, uh, sets of experiences that we've heard about here in the space and that you know we could read about in other media as well. Um, but it seems to have been a lot more systematic in Hirson and a lot more random in some other places, especially around Sumer or Chernihiv or places like that. Uh, whereas in Hirson, they, 
kind of knew who were who they were going after. There might have been a, a few more collaborators locally as well than in some other places further to the north of Ukraine. Um, you know, who might have given like lists of uh, ex servicemen or or ex police forces, etc. Uh, Michael. Yeah, I have a question for Kirsten Kat. Um, uh, how is the contact between the Russian occupiers and the population in Kherson? Uh, like, do they do they actually uh, create a kind of government? Is there some? Uh, are they delivering food uh, and water, or do, is the population just on their own? Is there contact? Do they register somehow? People that are still there. Because you know nobody knows who's actually still there and how and who not. Uh, like how's how's life as a, from a civilian perspective uh, in the occupied Kurd? Uh, so it's actually like the team in which you can like talk for an hour, like from different perspectives, from how you interact to this uh, like usual soldiers on the streets to how you interact with these people on blog posts and like what the administration, like occupant administration, does. Uh, what do they do in the, like these schools and this, this educational system? Like, I don't know uh, where to start even. Like maybe from the administration, they uh, like there is uh, an administration which mainly consists of people. Let's to say that were previously denied by the uh, population of the Kherson. Like uh, I mean that ex-mayors uh, like uh, that have failed on their uh, like um, elections from the pro-Russian parties, for example, like in Kherson, it's Vladimir Saldo, uh, ex-mayor of Kherson from the Yanukovych times, and the man who has uh, completely failed his uh, election, uh, last election to the mayor of Kherson. So they are taking those people and taking them uh, like in charges of uh, local administrations. Like uh, most cases are like uh, the same. Like they could take some people who are from this pro-Russian party, like Zajita, from this Medvedchuk's party, which are directly connecting with the financing from Russia and uh, putting them in charges of this uh, like, um, occupied settlement. Uh, what they are doing right now, what is the main focus of administration, what they are talking about the most? Uh, mostly they are talking now about the um, new educational year which will start here from September. Uh, they're talking about that they will uh, completely switch to the Russian uh, uh, to the Russian program of education and so on and so on and so on. But from what I see from the local schools, from the local teachers, they just do not have capacity to do it. Like uh, so, I'm waiting to for September to see. I I'm really think that uh, they will not be able to organize it. Maybe they will be able to do it in one school somewhere. Like, but not uh, like to switch entire Kherson uh, Oblast to the Russian programs. For example, from the 20 schools and gymnasiums which are located in Kherson, uh, only two uh, directors of these schools have agreed to uh, to accept these uh, uh, Russian programs of study. Um, so that's uh, one point, education. The other point is that they talk about uh, referendum, like which has already, like according to them, there have had to be a, a referendum in Kherson in April, in May, in June. In, now they are waiting for a referendum in uh, August and September. 
but they already talks that they will not be able to organize it and uh, the, the referendum, referendum will be somewhere in October, November. So it's just another case that I think they just have not uh, capacities to do it. Um, and the third case is that they are talking about these Russian passports, how people are accepting those Russian passports that um, like more, as they say that uh, most population, like the biggest part of populations have already accepted those Russian passports and they are very happy. But in the reality, there are cases when uh, people like uh, they give those uh, passwords, the first people who they give these passwords to, those people were people from the prisons, from people who were in Kherson prison safe, like uh, uh, gave those passwords to them. And they actually also like, uh, uh, even to the official statistics, like uh, which Russians are giving from the Kherson, that they are just uh, uh, 200 people a day who are willing to accept their passwords. It's a lot. Like it's, it's at first it's official Russian statistics. Like so, you um, already have a point. Like not to trust to these numbers, but even with these numbers, like 200 people from the occupied territories uh, take Russian passports every day. There are now one and a half of a million persons in occupied territory. So, just imagine how much years, centuries will it take to give uh, Russian passports to each person, to each resident of occupied Kherson region. Um, so, I think. That's all from the administration point of view, what they are doing uh, from the block um, checkpoints, which are in the city. Um, they stop cars uh, uh, from time to time. Like, uh, it's not like there's the same procedure to pass checkpoints every day. Mm. Sometimes there's like more intensive procedure when you are asked to go out of the cars, when you are asked to show tattoos, but it mostly depends on the personality of the soldiers who are in there and to the district of the city. They are like, um, in Kherson, there's a theory that uh, a lot of uh, high-ranking Russian uh, officials in Kherson are living on the like uh, Ostrov district of the city. And uh, that's why there are like uh, the most intensive checks uh, for the residents, specifically in uh, this part uh, of the city. Um, so on the checkpoints, uh, most uh, mostly will be asked to show your telephone if there will be intensive checks. If it's just a casual day and Russians are lazy, they just like uh, go and meh, go. Uh, but sometimes when something extreme happens, like for example, these Chernobyakas, uh, you can see some sort of ins uh, like uh, intensification of these checks on these blog posts. Um, most recent trends from the checkpoints is to ask uh, locals, like to like to demand from locals to take. Uh, um, how do you call this? Like when you make your cars uh, windows darker, like uh, something like tinting. Tinting. Yes, they uh, demand to remove tinting from uh, cars um, or directly on the blog post. Like they. Uh, demand people to take it off. Um, there are actually like some funny cases like uh, about it that they stop person, they demand them to like to take off thinking, but the civilian says it's not thinking, it's just the color of the window. And then Russians are struggling like to themselves to take off this uh, thinking from the cars. And they, and after some time, they understand like that the civility, civilians are not cheating up. And that's really just uh, like uh, a color of the window 
like I'm very angry and letting them go and shouting at them uh, angrily. Um, so that's about checkpoints and about the interactions with usual uh, soldiers, which are like from time to time going to the city uh, on the city. Like Russians are uh, like they are like soldiers, but like, you need to understand they're also people and they have this uh, some sort of needs that so they need to go to the markets to buy food for themselves uh, and so on. So you can see them uh, like um, one place where you can see Russian soldiers not on their duty, like in their free time, more or less, is the central market in Kherson and the Dniprovsky market in Kherson, uh, where they are buying uh, like um, food and uh, maybe other stuff from the civilian. Uh, and sometimes like they share their thoughts on these markets with the civilians uh, of what they think and uh, uh, they are really different people among Russian soldiers some of them are like uh, according to these uh, conversations to people who are on the markets that uh, some of them do not understand what they are doing here in Kherson um, and the other people on the other hand uh, like uh, completely different that they are uh, believing in all of this bullshit about Nazis, about that they are here to defend, uh, uh, and they are saying, uh, "Look, we've uh, like liberated you. Like, um, like uh, you see that in person life is uh, like uh, um, like normal. There's no like uh, Nazis anywhere. Why are you not uh, uh, like grateful for us and so on, so on, so on? So there are people that are strongly believe that they're." Just like some evil Nazis. Um, uh, I think I don't know if I. Uh, I think that's more or less all. If you have other questions, like uh, I will try to answer them. Thank you, Special Guest. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, uh, one last question, maybe. Uh, do you have to be generally afraid? Uh, like, are the soldiers showing aggression against the population, or are they trying to be? in air quotes, nice, and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, do you have to be afraid of your life if you pass a checkpoint and say you look bad to them? Uh, like, do you, do you uh, worry that they might uh, kill you or drag you into, into a prison or uh, something? So when you have to worry when you pass checkpoints? First, if you have any tattoos. Uh, for some reason, Russians on checkpoints think that if you have some kind of tattoos, that means that you are maybe the high chance that you're gonna they're connecting to Nazis, like uh, even if those are not related, like to like to some Ukrainian symbolics and so on, so on. Um, also, it's uh, like uh, it's more dangerous for males, like uh, in Kherson. They uh, like I think it's connected because they are thinking that most danger comes uh, from uh, male population, which left in Kherson. Uh, if you need to worry about your life, you know, it's, um, I don't know how like, to answer these questions because it's random violence. Like, you never know when someone will happen to you. For example, I posted uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago that some uh, civilian cars were shot at on Tavrichesk district and a person was killed inside of a car. So it's like not that it happens uh, every now and every now and then. Like, uh, it's not like something which happens uh, uh, like every day in Kherson that someone is shot at uh, the middle of the city 
um, every day, but uh, it happens from time to time, like, uh, so just random. And that's probably the one thing that really has to be stressed, right? It's random violence, it's systematically random violence. Um, and that, that's why Special Cat was saying earlier, for, for three months, he was basically stuck in an, in an apartment and didn't go more than a few blocks out, because the fewer interactions, the better, the lower the chance that you get hit by some of this random violence. Um, Slavo Karini, we want to complete this and then we'll go on to CJ. Slavo Karini. Yes, I have a question for the special Kherson cut about the people who still believes in this liberation. So uh, I don't know how many of these people who now I think are happy that they was liberated, but uh, how are they going to be feel when they going to be liberated by the Ukrainians back? So for me, it's just interesting that people still how somehow lives in this denial that there is no good from this uh, Russian occupation. And for me, it's like, a, did you have any uh, maybe conversation? Maybe do you have this with some people who strongly believe that it was, that is really liberation from the Russian soldiers, Russians? Maybe some, can you somehow give this maybe feeling uh, how strong they believe in this liberation? How they, did they uh, become more happy in this situation? Thank you. Oof, like, uh, I do not have particular, like, like people in my circle of, like, uh, like uh, people who I know and talk about uh, with, which are, like, uh, supporting this, uh, like, Russian occupation ship. But, uh, I think uh, the most um, like there are there is actually only one case um, in my like um, like from my sources from my uh, relatives uh, where they are supporting still uh, Russian occupations. It's uh, that uh, unfortunately one of my relatives has become an, uh, like uh, a collaborant is occupied um, and uh, it's like really in in his personality like it, i uh, i like we was not surprised that exactly this person from uh, our uh, like uh, uh, which we know has turned out to cooperate with uh, collaborants like he was a um, policeman like for all his life and he has worked in this Henichik's uh, district there is one checkpoint which is like uh, in like local area very famous for its uh, like uh, bribes to the policeman and he has worked there and uh, bribes were always like a big amount of his uh, personal income and he was already retired uh, after the occupation started and uh, when the Russians came he was uh, like uh, accepted to the job somewhere like in Henichesk uh, police department and he works uh, uh, with something connected with uh, um, net networking with uh, like uh, like the, somewhere in like network uh, department in Henichesk uh, police uh, somewhere there and uh, they were happy they uh, his family was happy that, uh, uh, and they uh, were like celebrating in this uh, village where they live about this uh, acceptance for this high rank uh, uh, like job from the occupation regime. Like, and um, it's mostly all what you see. Most of people which are um, 
waiting for this uh, occupant, occupant collaborate with them, collaborate with them. They are doing it not for some ethical reasons, but like strongly connected to these financial gains uh, and personal egoistics uh, like uh, things. They are completely and like my relatives, like you may ask, what about Bucha? Have they not they surprised by Bucha and so on? They just don't care. Uh, they see like uh, the gain for them, and they and they do it. And uh, they're also like uh, the part of the population, uh, in, like in the village where my grandfather, grandmother, grandmother lives, uh, which are like in betweeners. I think it's characterized them. It's like uh, if you are pro-Ukrainian, they will talk for you, with you about Ukraine, like how good is Ukraine and so on. But if you are uh, pro-Russian, they will talk with you like, yeah, yeah, Russia good, Russia good, and so on. So I think when uh, if your question is like, what will they do when they will be liberated? I think they just will switch sides again. Nothing like important. They just do not have their personal opinion, and they just like keep in a float of uh, what's going on around them. So thank you. So it's like uh, just uh, for some people, just a way of life. They live in corruption. They just uh, this. They know do not know in any other way. They like it to take bribes, like this, uh, be in power. So it's uh, all matches. So thank you, thank you. And about the butcher, what it exactly? What he, yeah, I just wanted to say exactly. They just don't care. What it's not just. It's not like real Ukrainians. Ukrainians care. But if you don't care, sorry, uh, you are part of the rush. Thank you. Exactly. And uh, we've had some, um, how should we say, um, we've had some uh, care by Ukrainians exhibited using some very long-range artillery uh, that CJ is very familiar with. CJ? Well, good morning all or good night. Uh, no matter where you are, it is high Mars o'clock, as always. I uh, wanted to ask Special Hirsan Kat, and I'm sorry this has already been asked today. You know, we, you know, you, about a week ago you had mentioned that the um, the population of Hirsan had had been dwindling as people were able to successfully escape or go to safer places from about 300,000 to 100,000. And then we saw three and four days ago, of course, the Ukrainian Defense Minister and President Zelensky and many others, um, you know, advocating for the uh, the the remaining people in both Hirsan and. Zaporizhia to, to leave if they can due to the coming offensive. And I mean, we saw <clears throat> last night in Ukraine just, you know, why that is, because even if Gimlers are a high precision weapon that can, um, you know, hit something with pinpoint accuracy, they can't control where all the Russian ammunition is stored or how it's stored and how it's going to impact people. I mean, there are some shells that landed four and a half, five kilometers away, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely best if all Ukrainians can get out. I guess my question uh, for Herson Kat is, Kind of what's again, again, just speaking very generally, are people able to get out uh, of those hundred thousand? Because my thought is, if they were able to get out, they would have done it sooner. I know, you know how dangerous dangerous it is, not only for the Russian uh, filtration camps, but also, I mean, just going towards the front line. So I wonder, is there any ability for people to even leave at this point? So yeah, I already said that there is an ability to live through Vasilivka. Uh, it's uh, the point where it's now. The most people, the biggest chunk of people living through Vasilivka through this blog post. And there are now more than 10,000 people uh, currently waiting there in the line to leave. Uh, and also about uh, why are people not living still? Like There are a lot of reasons for it. Uh, for example, the most, uh, mm, like, the most usual 
like um, uh, things of persons who are not living is uh, I do not have where to go there. My home is here and I do not have any place to go uh, beside. I just live here and I do not have anything else there. Everything I have is here. I cannot leave from here. Um, so even if they know about these evacuations uh, passes, like, um, like there are a lot of people who are still feeling connected to their homes and they just do not want to leave for this. Other people are still walking like uh, in this very, like, Mm, uh, like, uh, like for example, there are a lot of people who are working like in medic in medicines. There are people who run businesses that uh, they cannot just leave the occupied territory. There are cases, for example, uh, when Russians say to people, "If you leave, we will take your business." Like, um, and also, no, I said that uh, that's uh, like fearing that they will take your business away and destroy it is uh, something which uh, still uh, holds some of my relatives in Kherson up to this day, even if they uh, want to leave. But uh, um, they have like built all their life. They've helped building these uh, uh, businesses and gaining assets in Kherson area, and they cannot just leave it there. Um, also, uh, like it's uh, like about the uh, business which is uh, connected with farmers. Like a lot of people have cows, uh, chickens, uh, like uh, pigs, um, and uh, they cannot live there because no one will like feed those like uh, animals without them. There are like, just no people who will do it for them. Like, it's, it's actually the business which my relatives are connected with, like a pig farm. Um, they cannot leave them there like uh, because uh, all of these uh, animals will just die and uh, there are a lot of like these tiny stories why people cannot leave like and uh, the biggest one is uh, like as i said probably that uh, people do not understand what will they do if they leave and they cannot leave their stuff in uh, they do not want to leave their apartments flats in the occupied territory no and that's uh, that provides a lot of context because you know even if some people are able to leave there'll still be a, a decent amount of civilians in the city i you know I, not to be overly um, optimistic, but we—I think we all kind of are aware, and it seems that the military facts on the ground are, are kind of saying that Kherson city itself will be the next uh, large urban battle of the war. Right? Other cities like Zaporizhia, Mariupol, uh, Donetsk, and Luhansk are, are, are too far away. Whereas I think Kherson probably will be the next urban battlefield. But there's a big difference this time, and that's HIMARS. And I know everyone's maybe sick of talking about it, but the reality is one way that HIMARS are used and employed is a way that we have not seen yet in Ukraine, but I have seen in Afghanistan, and that is with the low collateral, you know, high precision in buildings in dense urban combat. And what I mean by that is, you know, you sort of saw and heard the report, Special Hersan Kat, of the Russian barracks being taken out. And while, of course, we cannot control what Russian artillery does to the city, uh, Ukraine now has the ability to strike, you know, Russian command posts in the city and barracks. Obviously, it's still gonna cause, you know, some significant damage. But it won't be, you know, to the widespread level where Ukraine has to, you know, level half the city to get the Russians out. They'll be able to, you know, apply these missiles, you know, once a lot more ammo dumps are taken out to individual Russian formations, which is just going to. I mean, that's why this weapon was designed in the first place, uh, you know, for America to use was for counterinsurgency and, and the lowest collateral damage possible. So that gives me, you know, despite the, the, the terrible things that lay ahead, a small glimmer of hope. 
that perhaps, you know, Kherson won't be destroyed to the same level of Mariupol and Severodonetsk Donetsk and Lishishank and, and more um, moving forward. And also I wanted to add, like, um, yeah, like we are talking about and thinking a lot about what will be like with our houses, also and flats. It's also collected to us, like, um, our family does not have any assets beyond the Kherson. Like, uh, everything which my family has gained is inside of Kherson. And uh, it's now, uh, like, from what I know, like, um, it's uh, still is uh, intact. Like, our flats, apartments, other property. Um, but we are worrying about what will be next, because, like, our family has worked, like, entire life, like, just for those things which we have in Kherson. Um, and also uh, another point, like you said, that maybe there like, will be a big destruction from the city when there will be ongoing battle. Uh, but I think even if when Ukrainians will recapture Kherson, I think uh, like at least what we are talking about now and what we are thinking now, our family, that we will not return to Kherson like at this point when it will be liberated. For example, because why? Uh, look what happens to Nikolaev, for example, like constantly shelled by uh, Russian uh, MLRS systems of artillery, like, uh, and it's still like can randomly hit you, like, uh, and take your life, even if it's Ukrainian control. So, um, even if uh, Kherson will be retaken, like right now, it's not shelled. Like you've seen that. This one case was only like Himar strike and the barracks uh, in the center of Kherson. That's all. There were no other cases when something Ukrainian uh, was. Uh, hit inside of the densely populated area of Kherson. Like, but the other case with Nikolai, you can see it constantly, that those huge missiles are just uh, bumping into the uh, random um, residential buildings. There was even a video from the time when like, there was a strike at Kremenchuk uh, uh, Mall supermarket. And like uh, one day or two days later, there was uh, another video of exactly the same missile hitting just at the corner of the residential building. So it's like, uh, that's why even if uh, when Kherson will be retaken by the Ukrainian forces, we will still like uh, not coming back to it. Like, because we still think that uh, Russians will be able to shell Kherson more or less safely because there is this Kherson Dnipro river which disconnects forest and Kherson and uh, we think that they will still have ability to and I guess it actually really depends on how the Ukrainians proceed right whether they capture the dam at Novakakovka first or the bridge at Kherson first right yeah uh, how many of those Russian occupying troops will remain alive and how far can they be pushed back uh, quickly enough? That's the whole point. And um, when pushed back, meaning pushed out of the area, and as a consequence of that, further uh, diminished in their capacity to uh, put Kherson at risk. I mean, in order to free Mikolaev, you already have to um, essentially free Kherson. We know this because the MLRS range of uh, the Russian forces is the key asset. But uh, then again, I think CJ and I both have the same view that if and when Kherson is taken, the open country um, beyond that cannot be easily defended by the then completely exhausted and heavily shelled and diminished and degraded Russian troops. For that uh, that area, Axel, what is it? What kind of country is it? This is tank country. Just wanted to hear you say it. Um, 
and hopefully the other rumors that we heard earlier. And sadly, Sinclair already went before I could ask about the archers. Uh, but but sadly, you know, hopefully the other rumors are also true that Poland is getting some, uh, uh, you know, shiny Abrams tanks, and maybe they'd be willing to then send the two hundred plus P T ninety one Twardy variants onto onto Ukraine to help out with that push, right? Finance. Uh, I keep hearing about all this tank country. And we know that Ukraine has a bunch of tanks. Uh, when are we going to see some of these tanks uh, rolling towards the Russians? Well, Yehuda said it last night. Uh, Ukraine has nurtured them, or husbanded them, and uh, I think it's. Um, I think his his uh, analysis is correct that uh, the time is coming, and it's coming sooner rather than later, and the Ukrainians will use the momentum of. What CJ just quoted yet again, the happiness through HIMARS moment. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, as I regularly pronounce, the least military expert we have. Uh, but it just seems that uh, don't, don't you uh, start taking advantage of all this complete chaos and destruction of Russian everything by uh, attacking into it, right? Like, isn't that the, the gist here? Oh, absolutely. Uh, but then again, that is what uh, President Zelensky and uh, also the Ukrainian general staff have said so. Um, I think uh, you'll see a lot more hits and you'll see a lot more degradation in the coming days. And I would not be surprised to also then see significant uh, offensive action. On the contrary, it's what everybody is waiting for. And there is at least three attack vectors and uh, they do include isolating her son. Question. Axel, the question? Yeah, oh, no, answered very well, thank you. No, I know, but he was halfway through saying the word, but the question, and then and then he, his audio uh, died. I think he's having airport problems. That's usually the case. Um, yeah, no, to, to me, finance, and, you know, I'm the, the second least military expert here, right, after you probably. Um, my understanding is that tanks are fundamentally you know, more of an offensive weapon in this case, more than a defensive weapon. And that's why they weren't used as much previously because simply they weren't, that useful with with uh, the exception of that uh, um, tank formation that was well, a couple of tank formations, one around Chernihiv and the other one out in the west, sorry, in the east of the in the east of Ukraine, in the northeast of Ukraine, uh, that were holding back against the you know the Russian invasion very very steadfastly. Uh, but beyond that, it's apparently not as simply not 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 it simply wasn't as useful and wasn't considered to be as useful. And, they were simply keeping them back to 